Hi, welcome to the Food in the Edge podcast, and I'm your host, JP McMahon. Hi, I'm JP McMahon. And I'm Shamak Barosh. And welcome to another Food in the Edge podcast. So today we're going to talk about uh, various different food subjects that are pertinent at the moment. We're going to talk about food at historic sites in Ireland and around the world. We're going to talk about junk food and how we define junk food. What is it? Is it good or bad for us? Uh, We're going to talk about GMO, that uh, bad word, genetically modified ingredients, and whether or not they're going to save us and be able to feed 10 billion people. And lastly, we're going to talk about the wider culture of bullying in uh, the kitchen and this um, incident, I suppose, that was all over social media recently and uh, and how you feel about it. So I hope you've enjoyed our other podcasts that we've been recording over the last couple of months, trying to talk and debate about some issues that are central to not only the industry that we find ourselves in, but I suppose to food at large and how we deal with, um, I suppose, all of the different things that are happening in relation to the environment and also in relation to uh, migration and, and I suppose the economy as well. And all these things affect food. The first topic I want to talk about is not specific to Ireland. I mean, I think it, it happens every everywhere but it's pretty much the food at historic sites around the world and I always find that possibly for me the governments are missing a trick or whether it's private industry and that we have these amazing sites around the world uh, in Ireland we have Newgrange and we have the Cliffs of Moher we have various different places and often the food I find is um, is a very generic offering and it doesn't I suppose touch uh, upon the history of that landscape or it doesn't even engage with anything to do with that specific place and of course it's changing and I think Fulcher Ireland and different bodies who I suppose who who try and push food forward in Ireland are trying to change these things but ultimately the responsibility rests on the private industry and I mean people have to change themselves or businesses must want to to do something and so this responsibility I mean really lies just as much in the private realm as it does in the as it does in the public realm and I suppose I've had some very bad experiences at historic sites around Ireland that where a food offering has been very poor in terms of its sandwich offering or in terms of its hot food offering and really there was no sense of the locality or the terroir of that place and I think it's something that we should really look into I think in say Loch Bora it's an amazing Mesolithic place in, in Irish history I mean people have been have been living there or the, the remains of, of uh, people living there have been found dating back thousands of years and then when you go to this site and you can cycle around it it's it's a really amazing experience to i suppose to be in that place and then there's a small little cafe and a very generic food offering of paninis and soup and and coffee and really i think that we should be trying to do more and i mean maybe i'm wrong i mean maybe um food at historic sites doesn't need to be uh, expressive of where it is maybe it just needs to be fuel and maybe i suppose people disagree with me and maybe i'm overthinking it. Um, I haven't been up to the Titanic in Belfast, but I'm just wondering, have they thought about the food offering in relation to the Titanic? And does it reflect in any way? Or is it just another cafe that has been put out to the general public and someone, um, I suppose, accepts the contract to fulfill and do food and, and uh, mix sandwiches and that? But I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, what, do you, what do you think, Shamak? Am, am I overthinking it? Do you even care? I think that that's the same case as with every main street in every town wherever 
tourists come, you can sell anything. Yeah, and that, and, and that's that's the just way way of making money. I, I think nobody I cares. Yeah, I was just it's in, just profit. Yeah, I was just in Spain recently, and I was actually quite surprised because I mean we have a, a tapas bar and like we have I can know the difference between jamón ibérico and jamón serrano. I mean they come from two different types of pig, and like they're very good in, in and of themselves, and I enjoy both of them. But I was surprised at this tapas bar in Denia that that uh, I ordered a plate of jamón ibérico it was 15 euro, and then I got a plate of serrano ham, and and again I just felt like it was just an easy way to make money for them because most tourists wouldn't know the difference between ham and serrano ham and ibérico and that's just the way it is and i suppose it it's unfortunate and maybe it's the way that uh, things are going i mean you have uh, independent restaurants closing and then you have places like costa coffee or starbucks or i mean they're the ones with capital and because you have a economy around tourism so if if a if a restaurant in a key location closes there will always be key money so it won't just be like uh, just going in and setting up shop you'll have to bid for it and this has happened in dublin where a space has gone like where key money has been spent nearly up to half a million just to get into the place and that's not even the rent or the rates right and unfortunately only big companies can afford that and they're also big companies are the ones that can fulfill contracts if you need to feed a million people at a site you're not going to bring your local independent restaurant and say do you want to to do this and there's a lot of administration and that and i know um, i've thought about it in particularly when you see these um different proposals coming around the country to do food at some of these sites and and i know there's always a there's a willingness to to change but ultimately as you said it comes down to the money that has to be made and i think that's always going to be the case possibly at these sites but i think i think if we're going to invest so much in these sites i mean i think the cliffs of moher gets 1.4 million people but they private now aren't they yeah, yeah well they're they're kind of public private they're subcontracted to people who can put in proposals or to say to do the to do the food there i think ultimately if 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 something doesn't change within the structure then the food offering can't get any better because you can't expect two companies to bid against each other and then one get the contract and then say we need you to make less money now because uh, we want you to use local produce which is more expensive and i mean i thought we've, we've talked about that in previous podcasts let's say for example like with potatoes and the amount of potatoes we uh, import into ireland because it's not financially viable to grow potatoes in ireland a lot of farmers don't want to do it and um, and that's why we we imagine we're a country of spuds but we're more a country of cows i think um than uh, than anything else but listen it's i think it's something to think about and i think possibly the next time you're at one of these historic sites or you're on holidays at a, at a tourist site and it could be venice and it could be dublin and it could be it no matter where you are but i suppose just trying to think about the food and does that food reflect its surroundings and if it doesn't and it's just quite generic i mean what does that say about where we're going with food So I want to go on to what we call junk food, and there's been a little bit of um, activity on Twitter and on social media in the last couple of weeks about not only about like giving out about junk food and saying it's bad for us, it's causing obesity. It's like cigarettes, but we just haven't come to that conclusion yet. And how much the government should intervene in relation to the advertisement of junk food and kids who are getting hooked on sugar and all that. And look, I've got two kids and they love sugar and they have jellies and, and all these things. I mean, for me, that's part of being a kid. Like, I don't believe in banning anything. And that's why, I mean, junk food is, um, 
catch-all term and a lot of things we consider to be junk food like pizza for example began life as very very healthy and wholesome foods and what happened to them was that they became ultra processed and what I mean by ultra processed is that you get a lot of sugar in there you get a lot of different additives in that to make it taste nicer and I think that's the problem that's I suppose the junkiness of food and it is highly addictive because it is is giving sugar to your body and your body wants sugar but it, it's very difficult because I mean for one part one side I could say well okay I don't really agree with junk food and I'm going to try and make sure my kids don't uh, eat it as much but if you're in a different social spectrum or if you're less educated with regard to junk food I mean you mightn't consider it to be junk food and if you're just poor and, that, and ultimately maybe that's what it's always going to come back to in this podcast it's like does it always come down to economy and if you're just poor and you can get a pizza from generic pizza store for 10 10 euro but you're going to have to spend 17 50 on the the cool hipster one i mean you're going to buy the 10 euro one. this goes back to the the food at historic sites as well so it's always it's always going to be revolving around this and and how do we intervene and sometimes it, is it that we need the government to intervene we need to make good food cheaper and shit food more expensive uh, but then the the processing industry will say well why are you targeting food you need to target everything then and this is one of the difficulties with trying to tackle like alcohol that's been sold below cost and they're getting people really fucked up like in that you can't just pick alcohol because technically speaking alcohol is a food and if you're going to say well you can't sell a bottle of wine for less than it's made well then you need to make the same rule for cabbage and no one gives a fuck about cabbage so then you're going to have they, that's what they're that's what they're using so there's a there's a lot of issues but then even even from from doing cooking classes and talking to doctors like there isn't even an agreement on like is butter good or bad for you and if you look it up online you'll see both I mean personally I think butter is good for you of course lots of it is not good for you but lots of anything is not good for you but butter is a is a pure fat and it's quite wholesome and most people assume that fats are bad and sugars are good or, or, or particularly sweeteners and I always like take the point but most yogurts it's very hard to find a yogurt that is low sugar like it's really easy to find a yogurt with no fat in it because they just take the fucking fat out of it and then they just put sugar in it and then it tastes nice but if you leave the fat in then I think it's a, a better food stuff but you can say the same thing for sugar and there's very little disagreement about vitamins and minerals but often this is how companies get over this where if you if you have something that could be classified as junk food and you put a lot of vitamins and minerals into it and all of a sudden it's it's good for you because you're getting your, your vitamin C and your D and all that and it's hard to argue with like a lot of breakfast cereals full of sugar but that's how kids get a lot of the vitamins and uh, particularly in the on the poorer side of things and it's hard to argue um, with that and that's why bread originally was fortified with these vitamins because a lot of people were eating it and the government needed to get vitamins and minerals um, into people and that's why we I suppose move away from looking for vitamins and minerals in specific things as opposed to just fucking taking a lot of pills and going oh I'm just I'm low on vitamin D I'll just I'll, I'll, I'll get a, a pill or vitamin K or whatever the fuck and I don't know for me it worries me because the more people there are the more food you need to feed them and the more that food needs to be concentrated full of things so people are healthier you know and it's a difficult proposition but I suppose I just wanted to put it out there and I suppose for people to think about what we classify as junk and what we classify as bad for us and how the how the media and how advertising influences uh, those things I think it all goes down to money and convenience because it's just easier to buy hamburger 
then make a salad. Yeah, probably, yeah. And then people, but also the difficulty is, is that a salad and a hamburger, what's going to give you more energy in the least amount of time? And that's going to be the hamburger. And unfortunately, salad is probably more uh, suited to like a slower pace of life and a slower eating. And, uh, and that's why if you get energy from, if you take a fast food meal, like it still gives you energy. And you could say it's junk food, but you can break it down into the fat that's in it, the carbohydrates in it, the proteins in it. And you'd probably do all right. I mean, you might be lacking in a few vitamins and vegetables. I mean, and we spoke before about this, about, about kids growing up in, in London who are the secondary school kids who are literally living off fast food for their lunch. And they don't see a vegetable from one one part of the week to the other and they see that it's just entirely normal and vegetables are kind of like well and so what what's the the answer put the the, the nutrients you're missing in the vegetable into the burger that's a question for science and uh, and I, I i wouldn't surprise me if when when they do finally make their lab mince that it'll be fortified and it'll be more meat than the actual meat and they'll be able to play around with it and, and that it's going to touch on one of the one of the other topics that we're going to talk about next and i suppose we can we can just jump straight in do we jump jump, jump straight into uh, just one more question yeah. you mentioned science how much do you still believe in food science yeah like food science is difficult because i do i do think science is a good thing and i think we live longer because of science and um but at the same time i don't believe that science is neutral so i don't take the opinion that you read a a scientific journal uh, or a paper in a scientific journal and it's a fact I think science deals just as much with interpretation as as literature and as you probably know I mean all of the the, the kind of anti-fat dogma that a lot of that was just paid for and and now you'll probably have like a, a pro sweetener or a, like you'll have an anti-sugar agenda and you'll have a like the dairy industry might say well look we want dairy to be good now so we're gonna push dairy I mean I think ultimately it, it takes a lot of critical thinking on on the part of the individual to actually sieve through a lot of shit and go like well when I look at dairy what is it made up of and what does my body need and and so I really think the dairy in in just following one path is uh, is that and possibly that's that's the path that gets the most amount of people I mean if you stick up some scaremongering tactics as someone said recently fear is the best way to get people to, to change and so you you put a fear of butter or you put a fear of migrants it doesn't matter you put a fear in and then everyone pulls back and and that's the difficulty you know and I think it takes a lot of thinking it takes a lot of sieving through stuff and that's why I always like trying to encourage people to to try and think critically about things and if you're googling stuff always google the opposite as well you know and just say is butter bad for you and then say is butter good for you and you'll get a more rounded view and also to try and rather than just look at random fucking crap pages like to try and see who's saying these things and and that's really important because it's always someone saying something it's never just Uh, internet page that is just there with a, with a full of information it is always coming from somewhere and you've got like pages that are from different uh, factions and so I think it's um it's a it's, it's a difficult one to uh, to uh, to see but ultimately I think at the same time you've got to listen to your own body you know and I think everyone is different uh, has a different makeup and some people can take more fat and I think ultimately if you find that um, you eat a pile of junk food and you feel ill then it's probably not good for you you know I mean I'm not saying that you eat a pile of junk food and you're fine but people's bodies adapt differently people have different metabolisms and uh, ultimately what I think if you need a balanced diet I made this joke recently that they always do these fucking scientific papers and they do these someone does a PhD and, and I, it always comes out with I think balance I, and you give 10 million funded moderation 
and, and like it's it's always the fucking same and then they go i think we need to do another paper and it's like another 10 million and it's like we just need more balance in our lives it's it's almost like a fucking cliche it's that we yeah i mean you drink you have the fucking odd pizza and then you try and make sure you have your vegetables as well and no one is perfect and there are times when you just find yourself in places and what are you going to do not eat and and that's the the difficulty of, of adopting different diets that like what if you find yourself you're a, a vegan who has chosen not to eat i don't know gluten and you find yourself in a country that i don't know like say the north pole where there's no vegetables what do you do i just you abide by your principles or you, you just engage with the the local uh, community and eat that seal and uh, most of us don't need to make those choices because we live in a in a kind of hyper modern consumer society where we can pop down the road and get whatever we want and we so we can choose to have a diet that doesn't revolve around fish or doesn't revolve around vegetables it doesn't revolve around bread we can choose these things but go back 100 years there there literally was no choice and that's not to say people didn't have allergies 100 years ago they probably did and they probably died and so we are in a better position in relation to that to understand them Back then, nobody gave a shit about it. That was just part of the part of, it, <laughs> part he, of the life. I just read yesterday that they're developing, they're trying to develop a genetically modified peanut that's not going to interfere with people's peanut allergy. So then you're going to have genetically modified peanuts. And I was like, do we really need that to feed people? And the argument is that we should because we need to eradicate allergies. But like, do we need to be fucking with food so much that what happens if it goes wrong? You know, and, and that's what happens with a lot of genetically modified vegetables that and uh, and crops that what happens when it interferes with the the natural product and then it produces a hybrid that they couldn't predict the consequences of yeah. and then you have a fucking plague of, of shit that you don't and then they've tried they've tried this a lot in India with different stuff and this is like I suppose something else uh, the next topic that I wanted to talk about and it's I suppose ultimately about farmers and about GMO and there's an article in the National Geographic recently about that we are going to have to uh, or are we going to have to embrace genetically modified food to feed 10 billion people? Now, I'm still of the opinion that we need to have more small farmers feeding people locally as opposed to having massive gigantic farms that ship vegetables all over the world and but that's pretty we're heading towards that model if we're not at that model already i mean you get green beans from kenya in the supermarket every day of the week if you want and they're coming into maybe holland and that holland into england and england into ireland so the whole system is just moving everything around and i don't think that's the way forward and for me that's more a cause of greenhouse gases than all the cows put together i mean like if you have cows in your in your locale then that's that's not necessarily a bad thing but if you're consuming almonds from california that takes so much water or avocados that take so much water they're from california or mexico and ultimately the depressing thing is that it'll come down to the economy it'll come down to what's cheapest and what's most convenient and if it's more convenient to bring a green bean from kenya into ireland and sell it at 69 pence or cent than it is to buy it from Clare Galway at three euro because they took longer to grow and they're greener and they look nicer and uh, maybe they won't look nicer. And 
they rounder? Maybe, yeah, maybe the ones from Kenya might be rounder, you know. Um, but that, I mean, that's that, that's uh, it's it's a debate that's been had at the moment, and a lot of the science community are saying, no, we need to embrace genetically modified food because we need to grow crops that we know what's going to be the outcome. So they know they want to predict the future. So they need to know that this type of rice is going to be resistant to whatever disease. So they cancel that out. But the problem is, is a lot of these genetic genetically modified crops are being sold so so a company controls them like Monsanto then they they fuck the soil up and then after two years the soil is fucked and there Dan Barber has spoken about this in uh, in his third plate um, a book that's that's really good and I'd, I'd recommend for people for people to read it um, and it's about the third plate is is kind of like the way that we should be eating uh, and it doesn't recommend any specific diet but it's all very particular to the place that you find yourself in so he says the first plate of food is like is your meat and two veg it's, it's just your your generic uh, fish vegetables your the kind of older way of eating then you have your second plate which is I don't know more vegetables or um, uh, like a vegan or a vegetarian dish or that and for him the third plate is actually responding to the environment the local environment and what's there and so maybe there will be more vegetables and a small bit of fish or maybe sometimes there'll be more meat and no vegetables or like the third plate is, is something for me anyway this is how I interpret it it's something specific to the locale whereas the first one is dependent on maybe tradition the second one is dependent on trend and so something comes on trend and you embrace it because it's healthy but it's still a bit away from its environment and the last one is when you, you try and have a balanced plate that deals with the food locally but also eats in relation to the environment and the economy and so if like if there's overfishing then we shouldn't have fish and vegetables if there's more vegetables we should have vegetables and a small bit of fish and and maybe this points to uh, some different diets around the world i'm always in favor of balance but at the same time that will always be different and it will always depend and if you're in the middle of bolivia well, like who's to say what you have and and that's the problem we because of the internet everything seems so small but it, things are still massive like i know it sounds frustrating and it, it sounds like the easiest thing to say but i mean i think balance and moderation are, are probably sometimes the most difficult thing to get to because it's often not the easiest thing to do if you walk down the street or you're at you're in Venice. You don't balance is not in front of you. You know you have to seek and search it out. You're, if you're in the middle of a of a hyper tourist economy, you're not going to get balance. You're going to get what people need to sell, and often it is buy it at the cheapest price and sell it at the most expensive price possible. And that's how we treat food at the moment. And I don't know if that's going to change. You know, I mean, I've been I've been in the industry. 20 years or 25 years and I've been a business owner 10 years and I mean the model that I apply to our businesses is very different but the model I apply to our business is a is a fucking accountant's nightmare because it's like why are you choosing to spend more money than you need to because for him it's just money it's like why would you buy this vegetable when it's more expensive rather than this one and uh, because that's about ethics and philosophy but the ethics and philosophy will never compete with the capitalist economy because that is about growing, uh, moving forward, making money, 
and that's why we have the shit that happens and it's not that i'm advocating fucking communism or anything like that i think it's just about that we need to rethink the way that we produce food the way we make restaurants and possibly we need subsidization i think we i've said this before in the podcast i think i think organic food should be subsidized but then you'll have a lot of cold crowd of people that think organic food is the nu- nutritionally the same and it makes no difference and so you're not going to get a conclusive argument from the scientific community then you're going to get a lot of scams probably 100 yeah like like the fucking serrano ham the ibero ham like i mean we are organic because all you've got to say is organic vegetables on your door i like the danish model because you can get a bronze a silver and a gold whereas in ireland if you want to be an organic restaurant you have to be 100 and i don't think that's possible if you want to be an irish restaurant and, and deal with uh, as much irish produce as possible we don't make enough organic food in ireland so then you're then you're stuck well well is it better to import organic flour from italy or is it better to use irish flour that's non-organic and in in denmark you have a bronze silver and gold rating which i think i'd love to see adapted in ireland and it's like if 50 of your produce is organic then you get a, a bronze certification and someone comes in and checks that and then you work towards silver and i think that's much better than saying okay we're going to be all organic but we're not going to give a fuck where the food comes from because then what well, then you can take an organic avocado from mexico is it any good for the environment maybe it's good for the environment in mexico it's not fucking good when you bring it to europe because you've got a fucking boat to bring it there or a plane yeah. and that's the the problem i mean bananas have been in ireland for as long as i can remember and and i actually think growing up i never even knew that i didn't even know they grew in ireland i just thought like because i think the company fives are i was like an, i don't think fives are an irish company i think they are an irish company and i just literally thought the bananas came from ireland i was like wow we the irish company and cool bananas and maybe i thought they were growing in cork something uh, just like banana plantations i think they grew bananas out in connemara at once um oh some wall garden connemara abbey yeah yeah some but i think there was just one banana tree <laughs> and a pineapple tree just think it was an experiment for rich people i think that the, the various things we're talking about today and uh are a lot of just kind of probings and to try to get people to think about it. and if you're listening to the podcast it's like it's like to try and just activate yourself true food and i'm not saying like some fucking militant religious nut i'm saying like like just in your daily life that when you like if you're driving from dublin to galway like what food is available to you where does it come from if you do that run every single day is it possible to i don't know be a vegetarian and eat locally i would say no is it possible to get good meat in a service station I would say no as well but then what's good meat and so they're just ways of thinking about things and for me i think the more critical in a good way not critical in an ironic or sarcastic way i think critical in being able to think about food and being able to make choices that's the problem that's the problem people don't have time because things you're talking about and approach you're talking about requires decisions judging all the time and thinking about what i'm doing how i'm doing it you know it's it's difficult it is difficult but i think like we have more power than ever before in terms of knowledge because we have a smartphone that's literally like a fucking encyclopedia in your hand and we have like but we, you have to have a will to use you it. have to have a will to use it i know and you have like someone someone was Curi- saying you, you have to be curious as well how yeah. many people are, are curious. curious how many people 
people are going to play Candy Crush or look yeah. up whether butter is good for you and what the fats are in exactly. it. Uh, but like maybe I'm just a diehard hopeful and don't get me wrong, I think the more hopeful you are, then sometimes the more depressed you are when things don't work out. And like I am an optimist as well as a pessimist at times. But I think hopefully that through this podcast and through Food on the Edge that we can try and touch on subjects and affect more people. Because I, I do think everyone has the capacity to think about food and I do think that when you talk about human rights and about having shelter and having comfort I do think food should be one of those human rights and whether that's just fucking eggs and toast I mean that's food that's that's fine for me you know and I'm not saying we need to go back to an agrarian society but there is something wholesome about having a breakfast you know that is made up of sausages and eggs and and vegetables or whatever that whatever you want but as long as it's something that you've possibly made yourself and i know we've said this before like one day a week i mean i work in the restaurant and i cook five or six days a week sometimes and often when i get home I, the last thing i want to do is fucking cook so i understand the feeling of not what not wanting to cook and ordering takeaway of course i fucking order takeaway uh, but sometimes i think that it's it's good to have once or twice a week where you just say let's roast a chicken and get a fucking few beers and just fucking have a nice chicken like it doesn't have to be fucking every day then maybe you can work that into it and i think having kids as well the process of cooking is probably what we're missing because we we're going to restaurants more and more because we have more disposable income we're we able to buy food because it's cheaper than ever before but the, the, the bit we're missing is the process of cooking and waiting for stuff to cook and it doesn't matter if you overcook it i mean fuck it if you can eat it you can eat it and like just putting a chicken in the oven and or putting a piece of fish and sitting back and relaxing and, and doing whatever the fuck you want like I mean I don't think there's any silver bullet that's going to end all this stuff so I mean that's how I feel Okay, on to our last topic and this is uh, an age-old one bullying in the workplace or white the wider culture of bullying and intimidation in the kitchen this has been talked about for the last couple of years we've had like two or three talks at food and the edge about this we had daniel clifford talking about how possibly getting the mission started turned him into a bad person or a person that he, he that in retrospect he didn't really like because he was trying to achieve one thing at all costs and then we had anna Howe, the irish chef uh, talking about bullying and kind of um standing there and watching it and being complicit in that and i suppose this came up recently because in a resort or a place in england calcott and spa the one of the staff posted a picture of his buttocks that were like red raw and a chef another chef poured like brown butter or boiling butter or whatever down his pants and just thought it was a bit of a joke and of course this is disrupted on social media the company had to come out and say of course this is not what's happening in our place but i mean it goes if you read the the post by the chef he said he got the occasional black eye and got stuff like thrown at him so like there is systematic bullying in the workplace that's probably true of all workplaces and well we there's a focus on the kitchen culture because food is such a hot topic i mean how much bullying goes unnoticed in solicitors or lawyers because most people don't give a fuck about that it's just kind of in the background and i don't think they've had their their moment yet and some of the things that i'd like to talk about there's some things to think about is that is it always gender specific 
and is that is this why we have less women in the kitchen because it's a it's a male dominated industry it has always been for many many years i don't think it is personally i don't think it is is now it hasn't been as much for the last 10 years you have different voices that are saying that it, it is still just as male ego driven um, but I find having worked in kitchens for 25 years you can meet just as many crazy chefs that are both male and female of course you're going to meet more crazy males because there's more males before you start maybe you could answer this question as well how much do you think this problem is caused by military style of work in the kitchen uh, I, I, absolutely I, I think it, it echoes with trying to change the food system you can't change the system unless you get to the root of it and the fact that the modern kitchen grew out of a military style operation of a, like a head chef and a sous chef and all the way down it, it does affect that and but i think we need to change that system but i don't think that that change is going to come from someone specific according to their gender i mean there was an article recently that said women have the power to to change this culture but i think men have the power to change that culture as well i don't think that culture is gender specific i don't think being violent is is any more a part of being a male as it is a female unless you want to go biological and say okay with more testosterone men are more violent women are not who's to say but I, I think it's an easy way out of the argument to say the problem is men uh, correct me if I'm wrong but as far as I know this military style type of uh, work hasn't started really long time ago it was like in 70s I would say the system itself grows out of the like the 19th century but I think like systematically in terms of its coordination I would say like it's hard to say like the, the modern version of it I think is like post-world war ii but I do think you have kitchens in the say in Paris in the the early 20th century that were like probably the worst place to work in the world I mean you might as well work in a mine but I think that the way that we think about kitchens now is probably in the last 40 or 50 years yeah and but there's still I mean my point yeah. was it's not rooted in um, in deep history I mean, No. You can look at various different cultures and how they operate, but I suppose the idea of a restaurant is specific to Europe and to, to France in the 19th century, and it grows from that and then goes global. It's not to say that other cultures never had a restaurant or a cafe, but the way that we understand restaurants now is pretty much comes from this point in time. But like I think that if people are violent and psychopaths they're violent psychopaths anyway and a lot of them end up in the industry as in the kitchen as many of them end up in the military because it's a, it's a way to offload all this crap and like that's what we need to change but i don't believe that it's somehow essential to your gender if you're a bully you're a bully there's just as many female bullies as there are as there are male bullies i mean it's just that the media have a way of looking at it and i think that The industry has yet to have its Me Too moment where what will happen is that people will start to come out with their stories. And um, I suppose we're all complicit in that and it'll go to the highest level and it will go to places where uh, we'll have to think about what we have done. And and the weirdest thing when you look at chefs like, say, Gordon Ramsay, or who, who I suppose became famous for that kind of shouting, angry chef. And I found recently younger chefs watching this and wanting to emulate it. So chefs who are in their 20s, and this was recorded 20 years ago, and we think we've, we've got out of this and they're looking at it going, oh, that's a great way to act. And personally, I feel It's always small balls, small dick problem. I think so. I do think generally it is when you have female chefs in the in the kitchen, you have a better balance, but not always so. And I have come across a few crazy, crazy ladies as well in the kitchen that would uh, pull a knife on you just as quick as anyone would pull a knife on you. And I mean, is that the fault of the of the male dominated 
industry or is that just the way things are in the in the kitchen another question is there any way to react if you bullied because i don't think so in this structure as it is right now in the kitchen there's no one you can turn into and ask for help because there is this structure military structure and there is only higher ranks above you where can you go i know i know it's a hard one particularly if you're dependent on money and that like i do think there's more options there's to... no safe button like you know yeah please help me because there yeah there is there, like i do think there is now like depending on where you work at i would i would hope to say that in our restaurants we have like 45 staff that we have a policy that someone can come to you in confidence and you can try and sort out the problem but if the problem is going to lead to someone getting sacked often the person who's actually the victim of it won't come forward like in this uh, Calcott uh, drama the the text message of the guy that had burnt him said like the other message was like why are you trying to get me sacked like we're just having a bit of crack I think as a chef in, in his 20s when I was there I honestly felt that you just had to suck it up and, and shut up but I, I don't think it's like that anymore I think it comes down to the owner or the head chef that that uh, they need to be able to I suppose articulate this and to say that if anyone has an issue they should be able to come to me and maybe it's a flattening of the kitchen structure so rather than having a hierarchical kitchen structure you have more of a like a horizontal structure because the moment it's vertical and it is I think it's a it's much safer to have a horizontal one but the problem is people get intimidated in a horizontal environment because then if you're the sous chef you you want to be more important than the younger chef but in a horizontal environment you're just as important as each other in terms of your personal space and but maybe we need to think about them differently it can't be that the sous chef is always right just because he is the sous chef and I've worked in in, in places where the problem wasn't the owner of the head chef it was the sous chefs that were psychopaths and that went unnoticed it was like this crazy like like almost like wolves where they would prey on chefs and I suppose and force them to be silent because they wanted to keep their jobs because it was in a place and like I could all I would say to young chefs is that if this happens I think the only what you have in your power is social media that's what you have I think as a chef in in, in terms of everyone has has access to it. and that's really sad actually it is yeah but and, and unfortunately that's how this thing came out this person felt that they couldn't address this in in, in Calcutt and once it once he posted it and he said like this is just to show what happens it is really sad but I think that's things can only change dramatically sometimes you know and I think that we're all guilty of hiding behind that we're all guilty of stuff that either we've done or we've seen and said nothing you know I mean I've seen I've, I've I've had friends that have seen people get hit with a frying pan and everyone just turns around and says nothing. And I've had friends who are who are worked in the States and I think it's, I would not always say just as bad, but I always think it's, it's almost worse. It's some of the kitchens in the States who are full on militant and they adapt this military style program in the kitchen where you have your senior officer you know and it's an insult to kind of undermine them or give out about them and I think that's just bullshit I mean it's just no good can come from that and uh, and I, I think hopefully these will eventually collapse or the shit will come out about them and who's going to be the the person that unleashes this thing and maybe it's going to be journalists I don't know it's it's a hard one to know who's going to do it but it will be a brave decision because if you're going to take down people who are involved in this, then that's going to affect business, it's going to affect lives, but whose life is more important?
I think what you need is good lawsuit. Yeah, no, 100%. That would probably uh, change, things. change things, yeah. yeah. But I, I suppose, personally, I, I think the change is within us, if you if you just fucking think about it. And, I mean, I think I came from an environment where it was like intimidation, bullying, and I suppose when I became an owner, that was the last kind of thing I wanted. Now, that's not to say I don't have plenty of uh, intimidation and, uh, and bullying that still circulates around the kitchens, but at least I'm actively trying to stamp it out as opposed to reinforce it or just fucking turn a blind eye to it because like fuck we're as, as someone said to me recently we're only making food like we're fucking we're not making I don't know fucking shit that's gonna fly to Mars and it's gonna save the human species and I think if we had more play and fun in the kitchen I don't know it sounds like a bit um bit twee but I do think the playful element is, is what saves that because it's that seriousness that brings you into that kind of egoism that militant uh, role that this is life or death but it's not life or death it's just making food for people who, who want to enjoy it and but I think you'll get the same in in many different uh, environments like theatre and the arts industry they all have this these problems and they have come out about bullying and I mean the Gate uh, Theatre in Dublin had its its director um, Michael Colgan big massive investigation I don't know what came of it and it's very difficult sometimes that's why lawsuits because they're, they're things that happened in the past and it's hearsay and of course they might bring a person down but and they might change policy to have a more open policy um, but when you get to the top level how do you deal with it you know because uh, often you get to the top level by having singular vision and you fucking listen to no one along the way and you take down anyone in your way and and people seem to uh, want to desire this to go to these places that are singular but perhaps they're fucking cancerous inside <laughs> So I hope you've enjoyed uh, our podcast uh, this time and we have many other podcasts if you want to have a listen. You can also contact us and uh, if you want us to talk about anything or if you have any thoughts, definitely you can contact us. You can email foodintheedge at info at foodintheedge.ie and if you have suggested topics, we'd love to hear from you and uh, all we can do is keep uh, trying to change for the better. So see you next time.